0: Good morning. It is sure wonderful to be together. A, uh, a great and awesome day is my sermon title. And uh, I promise you that has nothing to do with the fact that um, I'm about to turn over the pulpit responsibilities to Daniel. <laughs> now, on the way to church, I told the kids, I said, hey, this is my last Sunday to preach. And Braxton said, yes. So I think for them, it is a great and awesome day. They're tired of hearing Dad preach to them every week, but uh, you know nothing will give you thick skin like having kids. Isn't that the truth? So <laughs> Daniel and uh, Miranda and Judah and Zion and Eden are all here this morning, and we're thankful to have you all with us, and we're excited to, to put you to work. Um, we're going to celebrate their arrival this evening with our, our fellowship meal, and I hope you'll all be able to attend, um, and, and I think that's going to be a wonderful time together. So. For, for this morning, we have some work to do in the book of Malachi. So I want you to open your Bibles to, to Malachi chapter 4, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 6, all of Malachi chapter 4. You know, I've been thinking about this seven-week series that we've been in the middle uh, of, and we've certainly covered some difficult ground in the, in the book of Malachi. Um, as I've prepared and 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 wrestled with this text I think one of the things that has been the most difficult for me and I would probably assume the most difficult for you as you've been digesting it is that unfortunately we probably look a little too much like the Israel in Malachi's days and because of that, it's been quite a challenge, but I'm, I'm grateful to be challenged with these words because it, it gives us a chance to, to see ourselves and adapt the way that we need to. If you'll recall the, the context of the book of Malachi, it is the, it is the last um, word from God before John the Baptist would arrive on the scene some 400 years later, and it was delivered to this Israelite nation that had returned from Babylonian exile And they had settled into the promised land, and they were excited to be home, and they were looking forward to things improving. Yet, when they looked out at the world around them, they saw that things weren't exactly as they planned for them to be. The brokenness hadn't disappeared. And like we always often do as humans, when things aren't going as we expect them to, the first place that we look is not within, it's we look for someone to point the finger at. And, and, and Israel here in Malachi was looking at God and they were shaking their finger at him and saying, God, this isn't how we thought it was going to be. How dare you? And Malachi is God's response to them. It's the answer that they didn't deserve. And God steps in and he describes his relationship with them. And he starts in chapter one with a powerful, powerful statement that frames the whole book. God says, I... Have loved you. And Israel looks at God and they say, How have you loved us? It doesn't feel like you've loved us. And God said, I chose you. And then he continues to go through the book of Malachi and he says, But you, you're the one, you despise my name. And they say, How have we despised your name? He says, You offer me your leftovers as sacrifices. God says, I can't accept your offerings. They say, why can't you accept our offerings? And he said, because you've been unfaithful to me. You're in the middle of spiritual adultery. You're trying to blend me with these other gods of the world around you. God says, you've wearied me with your words. And the people say, what do you mean, God? How have we wearied you? And he says, you you ask, where is the God of justice? As if I'm not just. God says, "In, in fact, Justice isn't even what you want. What you need is a refining fire. I'm going to give you what you need instead of you want what you want. In fact, you are robbing me, Israel. Well, how are we robbing you? They look at him and say, and he says, in your tithes and contributions. You've become so focused on yourself that you fail to recognize that I'm the provider. I'm the one that's going to take care of you. These tithes and contributions that were meant to, to be a, a means of celebration and to take care of those, those who are hurting within your numbers you're taking those from me you speak hard words against me Israel God says what do you mean they look at him and say how have we spoken against you and he says you you say in your private conversations that it's vain to serve God you think that I'm not listening but I am And in your day-to-day conversations when you walk around, the way that you talk about me and the way that you view me, I see your heart and I know the words and you speak terrible words against me. And it's in the midst of this brokenness of the nation of Israel, all of the stuff swirling around that God has drawn to a certain subset of people. We were introduced to them last week. It was the people that fear him. And they had gathered together, and as a community, they were speaking words of esteem of his name. They were speaking highly of him. They saw God for who he was. And it's to those people God's attention was drawn. And he zeroed in on them, and he began to have this conversation with them, this conversation that looked very different than the other conversations that were happening, a conversation full of hope. And here in Malachi chapter 4, we see the culmination of this conversation where God talks about this great and awesome day and all it's going to look like. So open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4. I wonder while you're turning there if any of you can remember what it felt like to anticipate Christmas as a child. Oh, man. I see it already twinkling in the kiddo's eyes this time of year. I mean, it is right. At, we are in December. It is, it is right around the corner. All of those countdowns on the walls, they're put up, and the Christmas decorations are out, and the tree's starting to have presents underneath it. And in the back of every kid's mind, they're looking at the presents, saying, I wonder what's in that box. Oh, the day when I get to open that gift. Now I was lucky growing up because my birthday was in May and so I got to anticipate Christmas and then I got a little reset and I got to anticipate my birthday. So it was just like year-round I got something to look forward to. We messed up and had all of our kids birthdays in November and December so they only get to anticipate things one time a year. So our our poor children. But but even as adults we we often live in anticipation of wonderful things that are just around the corner. I mean, small things that unfold in our lives, like uh, waiting, on a, waiting on a butterfly to emerge from a cocoon that you've been watching on the back porch. I remember uh, on the farm when a, when a cow was about to calve, the feeling that it was like each morning to walk out and say, I wonder if this is the day. Is this the day? Is this the day when it's going to arrive? We, we anticipate things like a vacation that's just around the corner. We anticipate the return of a loved one who's been gone from us for a long time. I mean, think about the videos that circulate on the internet of the joy of a family when their deployed father returns home from being overseas for a spell. Oh, the anticipation of that wonderful day. We anticipate big, life-changing events like the day when we get to walk down the aisle and be married, and there it is in front of us, and we know this big change is coming, and all we can think about it is anticipate that day when it's going to happen. Or then later, we anticipate other things like the birth of a child. We don't know exactly when it's going to come, but we know it's going to be there. We spend a lot of time waiting and anticipating. And yet there are often moments that despite all of the thinking that we put into them all the obsession of thinking and and dreaming about that day that when we get to the real experience it's more than we could have ever dreamed I found this video online of a calf exiting the barn for the first time see if it'll play oh no it may be, it may have kind of gotten glitchy on us can you click back once and click forward again and see if it'll play well, it was a really cute video, I'm sorry. <laughs> I would act it out for y'all, but I don't think you want me acting that way. There it is. I, that just makes me so happy to see. <laughs> These calves that have spent the winter pent up, they're born on a dairy. This is the first time that they've ever been introduced to pasture. And this animal that knows nothing different comes out and see how things are supposed to be for the first time. And while he may not have even known what to anticipate, in that moment he knows this. This is good. As we turn our focus to the text, we're going to see a day mentioned that is great and awesome. A day that we get to anticipate and a day that I think despite the vivid imagery that we have in this text that we probably can't really wrap our mind around what it's going to be like. Let's read it again, Malachi 4, 1-6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming set, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I want to walk through this passage one phrase at a time and unpackage the wonderful things that it has for us. The very first thing we see in verse 1 is this future promise, this talking of the day that is coming. Now, Scholars can figure out a way to debate anything, and there's a lot of debate about exactly what this day refers to. The truth is, as I look at the text, it seems pretty clear that it describes a specific type of event that's gonna happen on this day. This future day that we are looking forward to is a day when the arrogant evildoers are going to be destroyed. So it was a future day. It was a day that was coming. It's not a day that has arrived. And since I look out at the landscape of the world around us and see that there's still a lot of brokenness and a lot of evil and a lot of arrogant people thriving, it has to follow that for us, this is a future day as well. This is a day that is still to come, a day that has not yet arrived, and therefore I believe it is the day of judgment, the day of judgment that has yet to unfold. And to be quite frank, is going to be an absolute terror for a lot of people. In fact, the first thing that we notice in this text is not a message of hope, but a message of of despair and destruction. The destruction that we see in this text is on par with something that humanity has never before in history seen. As we step into the last half of verse 1, we see that, that on that day, God will set them ablaze so that there will be neither root nor branch left. Now, I've told you all before about the little shrub that keeps growing up in my fence row, and I keep cutting it down, and it keeps growing back, and a lot of you gave me really great advice on how to get rid of it, and I haven't done any of it, so there it is, still growing back in my fence row yet again. But, but we're familiar with, with what this looks like with uh, destruction of the external plant, but the ability, the life that's retained that lets it come back. Um, We saw it with the freeze. all of the ash trees in the area where all the foliage was wiped off of the trees, and they all looked dead, but we've seen that many of them were able to sprout life back from their branches, to sprout life back from their roots. When a wildfire passes through an area, it, it looks like everything has been wiped away, but the truth is, in many of those trees, there's still life under the surface, and, and from these basil buds of the burned trees, uh, new life can sprout out. Now, it would be possible for a burning fire to wipe out all that we see and to sprout to reemerge from what was there. But here in this text... God makes certain to make clear that this is no surface-level purging. On the day when this comes, evil will not re-sprout. There will be no root for it to retain its foothold on humanity. There will be no bud that can burst forth from a, a, a limb that was left behind. On this day evil will be done away with. The closest that I can think of is the flood of Noah. But even the flood of Noah left behind some roots for evil to reemerge. We see it wasn't long before people were, were sinning again. That was a terrible day. It was a tremendous display of God's wrath. But this day will be on another level that puts even the flood to shame. It will be a complete and utter annihilation of arrogance and evil. And on that day, if there are no people who are righteous, it will result in utter annihilation of everyone and everything. Now you can put a thumbtack in that thought for just a minute. Because the next thing the text says is a message of hope. It shifts gears and it tells us that there is another group, there is a caveat, there's a subset of people who are not going to experience this day the same way as the arrogant and the evildoers. But for you who fear my name, he tells us. For you who fear my name, this is going to be a different day. This is a theme that we've seen over and over again in the book of Malachi. We could back up to chapter 3, verse 16, and see these are the ones whose names were written in the book of remembrance, the ones who spoke together in community and spoke highly of him. In Malachi 3, 5, we see those who did not fear his name. They were the ones that were set aside for judgment. We see in Malachi 2, 5 that his covenant that was given was a covenant of fear. Fear. It was one where they were supposed to view him a certain way. In Malachi 1.14, God makes a proclamation, my name will be feared among the nation. In Malachi one of the questions he asked of Israel is, where is my fear? It would seem that this fear of God, this attitude that they are supposed to have is central and important, and it was an attitude of reverence and respect and awe. It was an attitude that provoked a certain type of matching actions. It was an attitude that was very visible among those who were his. These were the people who recognized God for what he is. And to these people who recognize God for who he is, who have this attitude and view of him that is right, God says there's going to be a very different experience for you. He says, On this day, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Now sunrise marks the beginning of a day. And for many, when the sun rises and this day begins, it's going to be a burning, blazing furnace. Because evil cannot stand true righteousness. And on this day, when the sun comes up, it is going to be bright shining unadulterated righteousness that shows now think of the image that's being laid out here when the sun comes up what happens night is melted away i wake up early on well i wake up early every morning but extra early on sunday mornings to go over my lesson and the chair that i sit in has a view of where the sun comes up and as you see that sun coming up it is a stark change from what is before when the sun comes up things are exposed you can see things begin to grow. The sun brings light and life to the world, and the same is true of righteousness. The sun is to righteousness as darkness is to sin. Righteousness has always been there, but it's been sitting below the horizon. It's been waiting for the time to come out And God says, on this day, it's finally going to shine. You've been asking all of these questions, and you've been wondering why it looks like this. You've been wondering why the wicked are prevailing, and God says, because right now it's night. Right now it's night, but the sun is about to rise, and when the sun rises, everything is going to look so different. When the sun rises, it's going to be terrifying for those who can't stand the light of righteousness. But for those who fear my name and have this certain view of me, this is going to be a day where there's healing. The sun's going to rise and it's going to have healing in its wings. In other words, all of these wounds that you have experienced, these very real, real wounds that Israel felt at the hand of evil and wickedness, and these very real wounds that you have felt in your lives at the hand of wicked and evil, on that day when the sun shines, there will be healing and the tables will be turned. And for those who fear his name, this is going to be a joyous occasion like you have never experienced. He says, "You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet." You put the video back up, maybe it'll play again, maybe not. The joy of a calf that's been pinned up and then released. The explosion of energy, this, this serves no biological purpose whatsoever other than the calf recognizing it was not how it was supposed to be, and now it is, and I am excited for how this is going to be. And he couples the imagery of that, of this leaping calf, with, with this treading down of the ashes in the field. Now, when I was a kid, Chad and I used to explore all the time. And, and we would go through the, the backwoods all the time, and most of the time we were bushwhacking with a machete. And you can imagine how slow the going was As we were exploring all the woods of Buffalo Gap Just, just crawling our way through the bushes and the brambles To see what was around the corner And, and it was honestly a, a constant uphill battle Where we were fighting against the stickers and the limbs and the trees To see what was around the corner But you know I've, I've experienced uh, other types of exploring I've, Have any of you ever tried to walk through an open field But it was maybe grown up with weeds, maybe broomweed I tell you, that's a hard type of field to navigate as well. Um, It's slow, it's difficult going. In fact, even a mowed downfield where there's stubble in it can be difficult to navigate and you have to watch your step and be sure that you don't trip over something and that something doesn't stick you because it often can be sharp and difficult to navigate and on this day the picture that is presented is one of zero resistance this isn't a day where those who are righteous are going out against the wicked and they're blazing a trail and they're hacking their way through and this isn't a day when they're dodging this weed and that and stepping over the stubble here and there that's not at all what this day is going to be like this is going to be a day when the competition is done. This is going to be a day when you walk out and it's like poof, nothing is there. This is going to be a day when those who are evil and wicked float away like ashes as you step out into this field. So combine this imagery with me together just a little bit. Think about the picture that he's painting. You've been in the barn all night long. It's been dark and you've been cooped up and the sun comes up and now it's time for the door to be open and here you are this innocent calf and you're running out to pasture and it's a little bit different approach because the mother cow who's been pinned up beside you, she's seen what it's like and she knows what it's like to go out every day and to toil in the fields and to walk around the broomweed and to try to find something palatable amongst all of the weeds but on this day you go out leaping like a calf and what you find is that everything has been burned away and wiped clean and it's a green fertile pasture and all you do is leap for joy and you eat the grass because evil is no more there will be a day where we walk where we wish and we are not hindered there will be a day when the fight between evil and righteousness is over there will be a day when God will wipe the slate clean and things will be as they should be But this day is not the day that you choose. It will only happen when God chooses. The text goes on to say that this will happen on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. There is nothing you can say. There is nothing you can do to bring about this day for yourself. It is under his direction and his control. And in the, same, in the same token that the, the sun is out of your control, that the rising of the sun, it, it, it isn't up to you at all. In that same manner, so is the coming judgment completely out of your hands. But just as sure as the rising sun, you can be certain that this day is going to arrive. This day will happen when God decides to act. I don't know when that will be. And it's at this point that instead of giving us an answer, he turns back to the people and he says, So, okay, here you are. This day isn't there yet. I've promised it to you. But what do you live like in the interim? And to these people who are waiting, he tells them this, Remember the law of my servant Moses. The statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. In the interim, while you wait, before the future is here, here is what I want you to do, God says. He says, I just want you to do what I said. I just just want you to, to listen to the things that I've laid out. I've told you the way to live. And so while you wait, live this way. And I don't care what's happening in the world around you. And I don't care what these evil people are doing. That's not where you are to direct your gaze. Direct your gaze to the things that I have said. I've laid out how you should live. And you obey. And while you obey and wait, I will work. And when the time is right, I will send you what you need. In fact, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the lord comes now elijah the prophet was a character in their history that they would have been familiar with but as we look ahead into the new testament we see that this was undeniably john the baptist Elijah the prophet was the next prophetic voice, the next message from God that Israel was going to hear. And it was going to be some 400 years later, and he was going to step onto the scene, and, and even his father Zechariah was told, this, this is who he is. In Luke 1.17, Zechariah is told, and, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Your son is going to be in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Later on to his followers, or to the people, Jesus told them, speaking of John the Baptist, if you're willing to accept it, he, John the Baptist, is the Elijah who is to come. So, so when the time was right, in this interim period, God stepped in and he, and he sent a prophetic voice. He refers to him here as Elijah, but he sent him in the person of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist stepped onto the scene, and he preached a message of repentance. He told the people that the kingdom of God was at hand and that they needed to change. He pointed the people to Jesus Christ as the Messiah, because John knew, just like we know, that there is a day coming, a great and awesome day of the Lord. And you, they needed to be prepared for it. Now some of our widely accepted English translations read a great and terrible day or a great and dreadful day of the Lord. And the truth is this will be a great day for some and for others it will be a terrible, dreadful, formidable display of God's awesome power. For some it will mean ashes and for some it will mean leaping calves and the difference is is the attention that they give to the prophetic word of God delivered through Elijah, delivered through John the Baptist? Truthfully, it's the attention that they give to the revealed word of God in whatever form he chose to reveal it. In fact, we see throughout all the prophets, they're pointing towards the same thing. We find the exact phrase, the great and awesome day of the Lord, in Joel 2, 31 through 32. But more importantly, we see the passage from Joel relayed by Peter at Pentecost. You see on the day of Pentecost Jesus had had risen from the dead and he had returned to heaven and he had delivered this 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 task to his apostles. He says, "The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, not yet, but it will." And I imagine they were anticipating that. And he said, "And when it comes on you, you're going to be my messenger into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth." And then on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit showed up, just like he said. And the people were looking, and they were preaching, and people heard, heard the word proclaimed in their own tongue, and they knew a miracle was happening. And all the people were wondering, what is it? Like, what is unfolding before our very eyes? And Peter looks at it all, and he says, this is what the prophet Joel predicted. And then he quotes, "...in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh." And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They had taken yet another step towards this great and awesome day. They were in the last days, the text tells us. The prophecy of Malachi had been partially fulfilled. Elijah had showed up and he had prepared them and the messenger and Jesus had showed up and they were getting ready to accept him. The prophecy of Joel was being fulfilled before their very eyes. There was this outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. And now, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, there was a chance for everyone to be saved. And church... We sit here today Miraculously preserved from judgment In this interim period After John the Baptist has prepared the people But before the final judgment day Has reached its consummation We sit there in this interim period And the same choice is available to us The same choice is available to us Will we choose him? Or will we turn away? I wonder what preparation we might need, what our hearts might need to be in a place to hear the truth of his message, to ward off this destruction and be preserved by Christ. And I think we need the same thing that they did. In chapter six, God says part of the work of John the Baptist, the work of John the Baptist, will be to turn the hearts of fathers to their children And the hearts of children to their fathers. Now that's an interesting expression. It's kind of the first time it's introduced here in Malachi. It feels a little bit out of place. I think the point here is this. The point is this picture being painted of fathers who would no longer live this self-serving life but care about their sons. And this picture of sons who would no longer live this self-serving life but have a heart for their fathers. This picture of people who looked out at the others around them and prioritized family and prioritized the people close to them and they saw that my attitudes and actions have an impact on others. This is a people who have been able to turn their focus from inward to outward and see other people. You know, Ezekiel, the prophet before, had portrayed this nation that was in the middle of a, a, of a siege in Jerusalem. And the picture, the relationship between fathers and sons was pretty different under the prophet Ezekiel. The text tells us fathers will eat their children and children will eat their fathers. A people so depraved that they would eat their sons, that they would eat their family for their own welfare so that they might be preserved. And as we walk into this nation under the prophet Malachi, we see maybe it's not so bad, but it's still pretty bad because what we have is fathers and sons, a people who are prioritizing their wants and their needs and their own gains over that of others. They are a nation of injustice. But God says that Elijah's Israel, the Israel that I am preparing, is an Israel that looks out and sees other people and has a heart for them. It's a a community that is righteous and exists in peace, a community that, um, that is called to me and called to me together. You must see more than yourself. You must see others. You must understand that we are connected and our hearts must be turned towards one another. It would make sense that this is how he would prepare them for Christ. It was a central element of Christ's teachings. Christ taught how God's love, our love for God overflowed in love for one another and so Jesus took a people who were intent on winning and taught them to be intent on loving. Jesus took a people who saw life as a competition to be won and taught them to cooperate. Jesus looked out and he says, this only works when you stop living for you and you start living for something bigger than you. This is only going to work if you figure out how to love. And I think that's what is winding down here in this, in this prophecy from Malachi. The essence of this passage is that we need to learn to love. Now, I think our fathers and mothers can all take heed of this, but I do think mothers do a better job of this naturally. I think our fathers struggle with this. And as leaders and heads of our household, it matters a lot to have fathers who are not power-hungry, self-absorbed dominators like this culture tells you that you need to be if you're going to win. This is going to work when we learn to live backwards, upside-down lives. It's going to work when we have hearts that turn hearts that are capable of seeing outside ourselves. And when our hearts stop looking inward and start looking outward, then we have a heart that is ready for Christ. And that brings us to these final words here in the Old Testament. Lest I come and distract the land with a decree of utter destruction. What is going to save the land from a decree of utter destruction is a people with changed hearts. And where do those hearts come from? from listening to the revealed message from God. And what does the revealed message from God say? Church, it's the message of of all of Scripture. It screams out to us from every page. It's the message of the book of Malachi that he set the tone at the very beginning, and now he's re-delivering the message of the end. The message is the same, and it always has been. God's looking out at his people, and he's saying, I love you. Return to me. I love you. I never left you. You're the ones that left me. I never stopped loving you. So return to me. Come home. And when the people finally see this, they always have one question. You look at this and you say, okay, God, you say that you love me. You say return to me. But how? Because I've seen the mess of the people in Malachi. And to be honest, that nation was a dumpster fire. They were terrible how does a people like that return to you? I look out at this culture around me, and it's a dumpster fire. It's terrible. How does a culture like this return to you? In fact, I look at my own life, and I see my brokenness, and it feels like I'm a dumpster fire. And I think, how in the world does someone like me, does a culture like this, does a church like this, does a people like this return to God? I know you love me, but how do, how do I come back? This is the same question that's being asked over and over again. And it's the same question that the first Christ followers asked on the day of Pentecost as Peter finished his sermon and they realized that they had crucified the Son of God. And they looked around and they said, Oh no, this is bad. This is really bad. So, what do I do? And Peter looked at them and he replied, Repent and and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You get to choose. God has provided a way out through Christ, a way for everyone who calls on his name to be saved, a way for this day to be a great and awesome day. A way for this day to be one with healing in its wings. And he gives us two simple things. He says, here's your response. Here's the only response when you see your brokenness. You need to repent. Change. Head a different direction. And you need to be baptized. You need to place your identity in Christ. Church, Malachi has been a tough book. He's been hard on the people, but he loves them too much not to say something. And his hard words are for their benefit to help them see their brokenness and call them back to him. God acted in a way that makes it possible for you to be saved. And God has given you time before the great and awesome day so that you can make a choice. So it's sitting right here before you to be like burning chaff and scattered ashes or healed and leaping like calves in the spring pasture. I've loved you, God said. How have you loved us? The people replied in one, two, and for seven weeks now he has answered. I chose you long ago. to make. I chose to make a pathway for you to return to me. I have set patiently loving you despite your insults and your adultery and your accusations. And to those who will choose me, I promise, I promise, I promise a future full of hope. The sun will rise with healing on its wings. So what will we do? What will you do? And what choice will you make? Perhaps like Peter shared in Acts 2, you need to repent and be baptized into Christ. And if that's the case, we stand prepared to do that today. Perhaps you want to learn more, and we would love to study with you and give you the reason for the hope that we have. Or perhaps, like the children of Israel here in Malachi, you are his, a baptized believer, but you've forgotten your first love. If Malachi has taught me anything, it is this. He will let you walk away, but he will not stop loving you. And right now, in this moment, it is not too late to return. Until the day when he acts, it is not too late. So if you need to repent, come home today. The invitation is open. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.